Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kinsey Dazinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach, and this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. This month on the podcast, I'm addressing some of the questions that came in this summer when we did our two-year podcast anniversary giveaway, and I have been so eager to address them with you. If you missed that window or if you have questions you'd like to send in, I would still love to hear from you as well. I enjoyed reading each of your questions because, number one, they keep me connected to you, and number two, they give me insight into what's going on in your hearts and minds. So feel free to send in your marriage questions to kinsey at bravemarriage.com or visit bravemarriage.com, scroll down, and click on the Q&A section. Here's today's question. I would love to hear about how to navigate disappointment, grief, or feelings of isolation in a healthy way when it comes to long-term issues such as infertility, specifically when both spouses have very different responses to the issue. Thank you so much, listener, for this question. This one is near and dear to my heart because this is one of the challenges that Evan and I have walked through in our marriage as well. But for the listeners out there who haven't experienced infertility or walked with someone who has, primary infertility is defined as the inability to conceive after regular, unprotected intercourse for one year or more. But anyone who's walked through this knows that just because infertility isn't typically diagnosed until the one-year mark, Unless a woman is a little bit older or in the case of secondary infertility, it doesn't mean that women and couples aren't struggling in defining their experience as infertility leading up to that point. It's not like all is well and fine until you hit the one-year mark and then suddenly it's hard, right? It can be difficult, even from the first few months of trying to conceive and not getting pregnant. Because for many people, they've often thought of themselves or seen themselves as having children. Many people sense a biological drive to reproduce, a psychological desire to reproduce, especially when bonded to someone they'd like to have children with. And these drives and desires are then reinforced by the churches, communities, and societies they're a part of. So there can be a lot of expectation paired with excitement, nervousness, and emotional buildup as couples make the conscious choice to begin building their family. And all of these things combined make for a psychological environment that's ripe for disillusionment and disappointment, if and when the act of intercourse during ovulation doesn't result in conception. The reason infertility is so hard on couples is because it impacts their whole world, from their marriage, to their outside relationships, to their thought patterns, emotions, sense of meaning and purpose, and their unmet expectations for the way they assumed or expected things to go. But the thing is, even though infertility profoundly impacts all of these areas, men and women tend to experience infertility differently. Now, I want to acknowledge that just as every couple's story and journey are different, so is every couple's emotional experience of infertility different, and not everything I'll share in this episode is gender-based. But from your question to my own experience, From the research and training I've done around this, there are parallels and patterns when it comes to the way husbands and wives tend to cope with infertility. So let me share a little bit of that in case you haven't heard this from another professional. So for the husband in the marriage, when a woman walks through a prolonged season of infertility, she is often hyper aware of everything going on with her body. It's a day in, day out, 
felt reality that women can't escape like men can because as a woman, there's the monthly menstrual cycle in which a woman is cycling through hormones as well as thoughts, feelings, and requirements for getting pregnant each and every month. She may be using ovulation strips, taking her basal body temperature, checking her cervical fluid, getting shots, taking fertility drugs, and feeling anxious about when is best to have sex in order to produce a child. But from timing sex during the window of ovulation to paying attention to each and every hormonal and bodily change during the luteal phase leading up to menstruation or pregnancy, there's hardly any point at which a woman feels like herself. Her self-image has changed, her relationship to her body has changed, and her meaning of sex has also changed. And then there's about a two-week window each month before ovulation that a woman is either trying to feel like herself again or where she's trying to recover from the grief and disappointment of the month before. On top of these physical shifts, there are psychological shifts for her too. Some women become all-consumed by trying to conceive engaging in many unhelpful thinking patterns. And she may want to talk about it, talk about her body, or express her sadness, grief, or disappointment to her husband. Or she may try to distract herself from her experience because talking about it feels too vulnerable. But either way, there's often this felt sense of isolation, whether from one's spouse because it's too hard to connect through all the physical, psychological, and emotional distress, or from one's friends and family, who may or may not even know that the couple is trying to conceive, or who may or may not be compounding the stress of infertility through added pressure, expectation, or unhelpful suggestions or advice. Now, this part is for wives. When a husband walks through a prolonged season of infertility, he is often hyper-aware of how much his wife has changed, how different she seems than the way she used to. Makes sense, Husbands, right, given what I just described. But unless a couple can put language to these differing experiences, it's very hard to intuit what's happening when you're in the middle of it. Not to mention difficult to put yourselves in each other's shoes when your lived realities are so different. But this change in one's wife can be nonetheless scary to husbands. They may feel like they're losing their wives in the process of trying to start a family. And while the timing and degree may be different for couples, husbands too feel grief and disappointment. And honestly, husbands often feel more alone than wives do because many men aren't conditioned to talk about what's going on inside. So if he's not talking to anyone about their experience or he feels like he has to stay strong for her and bottle up his emotions, then just as a wife is in a battle for her mental, emotional, and relational health, he is too, just in different ways. And no couple is prepared for that change in dynamic. So I share all these differences with you so that you and your spouse can listen to this together. And number one, realize that your differing experiences are normal. They're common, in fact. Number two, so that you can give each other space to experience this process differently, knowing that your differences here are okay. And number three, so that you can talk about what resonates with you all, as well as communicate around other experiences you're having that I haven't even begun to address. Infertility can be one of the most stressful seasons a couple can walk through in their marriage due to the way it impacts the mind, body, soul, 
sex life, intimacy, emotions, and relationship on multiple levels, as we've talked about. So here are a few practical tips to navigate this season well together. First of all, communicate. Communicate as much as you can about what you're feeling, thinking, and desiring, especially as you feel ready to move forward. Hopefully this episode gives you a good start, but I also know how tough it is to communicate what you're thinking, whether that's continuing to try, maybe taking a break, seeing a specialist, starting fertility treatments, or looking into other ways to start your family. These are such sensitive subjects and ones that you'll likely have to negotiate and have multiple conversations around over the course of several months. But as you do, be respectful and loving in your communication. There may be anxiety or frustration or fear that you're bringing into these conversations, and that's okay. But don't let those uncomfortable emotions lead you to be careless with your words. Take care of each other's hearts in your honesty with one another and show each other lots of grace. Because just think, if you're frustrated or confused with how infertility is affecting your spouse, just imagine how frustrating and confusing it must feel to him or her. Second of all, remember who you are as a couple outside of infertility. This is so important because even though infertility can feel all-consuming, it's critical that it doesn't actually consume all of your conversations or your whole life. Trust me, (laughs) I get it. I get how all-consuming it can feel. But I want you to stop for a minute and project yourself out a couple of years. And I want you to realize that even if you're not there now and that's okay, that your season of infertility will one day be resolved. One way or another, whether it's through pregnancy, adoption, or choosing a different path forward. But if right now during this season, you reduce your relationship to heavy conversations and goal-oriented sex that's only had as a means to a desired end, that will quickly take a toll on your psyches, your happiness, your relational satisfaction, and your intimacy in marriage. So be intentional by creating boundaries or containers around those conversations based on what feels helpful to you both, whether that's we briefly talk about it at the end of the night or we talk about it once a week, make that happen. And go on TTC-free date nights for those listening that's trying to conceive free date nights where you're just having fun together and talking about other things. Even if you have to print out conversation starters or look some up on your date night, do that. And finally, have intimacy-based sex, not just baby-making goal-oriented sex. Because I've worked with couples whose sex lives have totally halted because the association of sex with performance or outcome had become so strong. And I'll end with this. If you and your spouse are to a point where you think you'd have trouble implementing these things or finding each other again or communicating your different experiences with respect, please consider reaching out to a counselor who specializes in helping couples in this area, whether it's me or someone else. There are so many directions I could have taken this episode, so much more that I could share, but I hope this was a helpful starting point for you. Please let me know if I can be of help in any other way, and I will be back next week with a new Q&A. And again, if you have questions you'd like to have answered on the podcast, just click on the Q&A section on the homepage of my website, bravemarriage.com, or you can email me, kinsey at bravemarriage.com. My prayer for your marriage this week, listener, 
is that the God of all comfort would comfort your hearts, that he would be your rock and your strength as you navigate this together with your spouse, and that you both would feel Jesus so near. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Love is not a battle Love is not a bond Love is just as fragile